You are listening to episode 46 of The Lewis and Kyle Show with D. Murphy. I got a call from Kanye West. And <laughs> oh my God. He, he's like, come to my office. And for two weeks, I spent a bunch of time in his office and a hours and hours on the phone. And the funniest conversation I had with him was I was at Coachella. I am near blackout drunk at like noon. <laughs> I see his phone calling me. I'm at a party. I'm like, shit, man, do I pick this up or do I just keep it going? And I was like, screw it, I'll pick it up. Hello and welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks so much for choosing to listen to our podcast. Lewis and I are young entrepreneurs on a journey sharing what we learn from conversations with super smart people. We've had entrepreneurs, CEOs, authors, thought leaders, and more on our podcast. Our goal is to uncover the principles that have led to their success and share the best ideas that we learn with you, our audience. In this episode, we have the privilege of talking to Dee Murphy. Dee Murphy is a fashion entrepreneur based in Los Angeles who has co-founded and still runs to this day a number of name recognition household fashion brands. He co-created Young and Reckless with Chris Drama from MTV. He created Menlo House, which is one of the early men's subscription fashion internet services. He created New Republic Shoes and has a few other brands on top of that. In addition, he is a venture capitalist and angel investor through his firm, Queensbridge Venture, which is one of the first celebrity-backed venture capital firms, and is the host of Group Chat, a comedy business podcast that he co-hosts with Drama, also same Drama from MTV. Uh, where they discuss financial news, business advice, and current events going on in the world. In this episode, we pick Dee's brain about a lot of topics. Primarily, we discuss how he's built such an incredible network for himself over the past 20 years or so, starting from what he did in college to what he did in his 20s and 30s to what he's doing day to day today. Uh, We also discuss how he's maintained that network, how he's used that network to become famous on purpose, and the good and bad that has come from that. We talk about how he co-founded Young and Reckless and brought them from zero to $20 million within two years. And we also discuss at the end how we broke into venture capital. And if you listen to the very end, you'll hear the story of how we had a three-hour phone call with Kanye West while being blackout drunk, which was a pretty funny story. It was a super interesting conversation. He has such an interesting background and a very interesting approach to the questions we asked him. And I think you all will really enjoy and learn something from listening to this episode. So with that, I'm just going to cut to the audio. Dee, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show. Thanks so much for coming on with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. We're excited to have you. First question we have for you. So, you know, we did the audience summit together about two weeks ago and I told you about my mutual friend, Allie, who actually came on and said, Hey, and she's one of your biggest fans. So I kind (laughs) of had her help me a lot with research and preparing for this. And I was like, you know, more about D than I probably ever could just because I don't have enough time to catch up on how many hours he spent listening to his podcast. What should I ask him about? And she goes, he's so plugged in. He's like, he knows everyone in LA. So I wanted to start out by asking you about networking. And if you kind of have, are very strategic about it, if you've had a massive network on accident if it's kind of a hybrid of both and just how you kind of came to be a really connected person and if it, what that looked like in the process of building that community. Uh, great question. I think it kind of dawned on me when I got to college, uh, I went to USC and my freshman year, I uh, started looking at like the world in a much different way. So I got to college and I'd been in a little bubble in a suburb of LA called Granada Hills. And I didn't really know anyone outside of that little 
suburban life. And I got to college and it was like a culture shock. Like I met people from, you know, just all walks of life that I've never been interacted with. So, you know, my family, you know, decently well-traveled, but we didn't really know people all over the world, didn't know people everywhere. And that's when I quickly realized that one of the reasons why I went to USC was I was so adamant about living in LA for the rest of my life because I just knew that's where I wanted to be. So I was like, let me go to the college where I know most people will end up living in the city. And once I got to school, the thing that I took the most advantage of is like, I want to know everybody. And I didn't even have a purpose to know people. I just wanted to know people. And I was a very curious person. And, you know, so happened, I actually started my first business while I was in college, uh, my freshman year of college, which um, eventually shut down a few years later. But that business forced me to go meet people. So I would show up to like, it was, it was a tech technology company. So I would show up to like technology events in 1998, you know, with my like suit on and handing out business cards. Like I was some, you know, some doing something special. And I got into so many doors by just reaching out to people where I had this crazy network within one year of like, who go on to become tech luminaries, like some of the most successful people in the world. And I met them in that era where I was just this young person. And I quickly realized that when you're young, especially if you're in college, anyone will meet with you. So I was like, if you say, hey, I'm a student at USC, I love what you do. Can I take 15 minutes of your time to talk to you about something I'm working on? I realized that was my entry point into any room. And anytime I said that, I got into the room. And then I would tell them I'm working on this business, I'm working on this or whatever, and figure out what my angle was that I wanted to talk to that person. So as that happened, I realized then one person led to another person, then someone said, go meet this person. And I, I had no purpose in meeting these people, frankly. I just wanted to meet people. And I took full advantage of that. And that really paid off later in life because you know, there's, you know, while you're in college, you'll get opportunities to go to an event or go to, I don't know, some weird, like I was in the business school, some weird business school event. And most kids just say, ah, fuck that. It's a waste of time. I just went to everything. And I was so excited to just about to meet anybody that later I realized those conversations I had become, became very powerful to me later in life. And I, I got out of my comfort zone of just talking to strangers because that's a really, I think when you're in high school, there's very few kids in high school that I saw that had that ability to just walk up into a room and introduce themselves to everybody. I got that in college. In high school, I was still relatively shy. In college, I, I kind of came out of my, my shell. And then as I got older, I became more confident to go walk into any situation and introduce myself. That forced, forced conversation I had allowed me to just build an insane network. How would you say that you like built that skill? Cause you know, I feel like that's a pretty specific thing. Just being able to walk up to somebody. It's so important, right? I think it's important for anyone to be able to do that, but how would you recommend somebody that can't do that or, or can do that, but doesn't do that to, to learn how to become that person? I mean, it's so interesting. Cause like, you know, your social skills, which you develop as a young person, is probably the most important skill that you'll have the rest of your life. Like what you're going to go study in college today is not very relevant 10 years from now. As someone that mm -hmm. went to college and cared deeply about my education, and then I re quickly realized it wasn't applicable to the real world. 
and the social element of it is the most important. And so if you're fortunate enough to grow up in an environment in high school where you're forced to be social, that's great. But then in college, you have a very easy opportunity to stay in your shell and just be in the corner, or you can go and be the person that says, screw it, I'm gonna go meet people and talk to people. And, and, and what you quickly realize is what's the downside? Someone doesn't talk to you. Like, right. What are they, you know, when you, when you realize what's, you know, I've gone, when, when, when I graduated from college and I started my fashion business, I would go to A-list celebrities and try to convince them to wear my clothes. Like I, I remember I went to Matthew Perry at the peak of friends and I, I saw him walking down sunset, pulled over to the side of the road. He saw me coming and he was like, Hey buddy. I was like, Hey man, I'm a huge fan. I just started this clothing brand. I'd love to give you something or send you some clothes to your manager's address. And he's like, if you have something right now, I'll take it. I'm like, cool. I went into my trunk of my car, walked up to him, gave him a t-shirt. And that was it. It's just like, maybe one day he wore it. Maybe he didn't. It's, but I quickly realized that like, you just got to go shoot your shot. Absolutely. And, and I think it, obviously I grew up in an era with no social media. So we were not digitally communicating with people at that point. Like there was email and email was not used like it is today. Email was a very, like you could go on the CEO of AOL would have his email on AOL.com. Like it was that, it was that because no one was emailing anyone. It was and like the so, wild west. Yeah, it was. So, you know, I, I quickly realized that like, let me focus on like my ability to talk to people, especially like in my business, talk to talent because it's very easy to, you know, ruin that relationship when you're talking to celebrities. Yeah, I really like how you contextualize it in the frame of like, what's the downside and like how it really is an asymmetric bet walking up to any random person and, and having interaction with them. It's like, you know, the worst that could possibly happen is that they don't remember me and we never speak to each other again. And there, there's just yeah. virtually no limit to the amount of good that can come out of that interaction. And yeah, sort of, I, mean, I think, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I, I think this leads into my next question which is about like decision-making. And, you know, you seem to be like somebody who has a lot of personal freedom, a lot of control over what you do from a day-to-day -day basis and over your calendar and your life. So what was it like during your twenties and thirties, what decisions did you make that, that seemingly had asymmetric returns on, on the quality of your life and your decision maker and the control that you have over it? I think the biggest thing was, when you're an entrepreneur and you're on your own, if you don't have discipline in the way you live your life, it quickly leads to the lack of discipline in your business career. And so I, when I graduated from college, I, we, we had start, we had already started our business brand 5-4. I would go to my mom's office, which was a travel agency where we started. And I would show up at work 8.30 in the morning every single day because I felt like I had to have that discipline and we had no business. Like literally I would get there and practically do nothing. And I would just cold call retailers to try to convince them to carry our brand. And I think that discipline was the most important thing that still applies to this day because it's so easy when you're your own boss to lose complete control of your life. And you just do like, Oh, I wake up whenever I do what, you know, I have meetings whenever, but that's not how the rest of the world works, right? People want to work during a certain a certain time of the day. People want to accomplish things a certain time of the day. So that discipline, I think, has has carried on with my life, and I think it's had the biggest 
impact because when you have success, especially, it's very easy to just go off the track. So do you still operate that way? Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, I still, w- I have kids now, so obviously I wake up early regardless, but even when I didn't, uh, I would wake up every morning at six 30 or seven in the morning. I would get showered out of the house, be in my office at 9 AM. I even until COVID, I was the first person in my office every single day and I don't need to be there. I had no reason to be there before everybody else, but you know, lead by example is always how I believe. And I think that discipline is important because when you're starting a business, especially you're just waiting for your chance to get in the game and you don't know when that chance is going to come. So you have to leave every door open. And I think just being present gets you, that's half the battle. Most people can't even show up to the game, right? Like put it like this, a great example of this is I host a run club every Saturday in LA for three years. We have job listings all the time that thousands of people apply to every single uh, listing we put out there. You, I publicly, everybody knows where I am Saturday morning. If I was the 22 year old version of myself and I wanted to work at my company, I would show up at the run club for six weeks and then hit them up like, hey, I've been coming every last six weeks. I just applied for the, you know, the designer position at 5-4. I'd love to talk to you about that. Do you know how easy it is to do that? And only one person has ever shown up to the run club to just get my attention. And that person got hired. And I think it's just interesting that like most people won't take that effort that it takes to actually get the goal they, they want to accomplish. I think that's extremely interesting. And I uh, was in research for this, listening to your interview with, I think, Finn McKenty from Punk Rock NBA. And you're talking about how you use that specifically, not only kind of as a way to make yourself available for that young, ambitious person to have a direct opportunity to meet you. Or I think one thing I've been discussing a lot with some of my friends is this question of like, we don't have to guess. Like something like you talked about where you have this position with thousands of applicants. There's probably a lot of people frustrated applying for this and not getting it. And they're like, oh, I don't know what to do to get it. When they don't realize there's this opportunity available to them every single week to just show up to the running appointment with you and to say, hey, I would love to get this position. What should I spend my free time doing the next three months to be a very strong applicant for it? Like that guesswork can be removed. You can hit up D or someone from this company on Instagram. You could probably use the internet to figure out who makes these hiring decisions and be like, so even if you don't have the experience, they're accessible. And you can say, what should I be doing? such that like in the, in the event I want to apply, I actually have a strong position and people just don't realize that those opportunities to show up and ask questions are available to them. Yeah. I think they also don't realize not even just, you know, for the purposes of uh, getting a job, there are, there are people in every industry that have been known to make themselves available and they're literally inviting you to ask them a question. So if you don't take advantage of that, that's ultimately your problem and your fault. And I think I hear and I hear a lot of frustration from people all the time. Like, I don't know anyone. I don't know. I don't know how to get out of uh, get out of my bubble in, you know, I don't know, Orlando or whatever. And I was like, you are networking today is just DMing somebody something right. compelling. Uh, get someone's attention. Like most people are not thoughtful enough. If like, for example, there are people that come up to my office 
with the tequila I like and say, can I have five minutes of your time? If you're smart enough and realize that like, I like that. And I think that's funny. I'm like, of course you people have driven, like people have shown up from all over the world with tequila and said, I just flew in from Australia. Can I get 10 minutes of your time? I brought your favorite brand. I'm like, yeah, of course, Australia, tequila, come on in. Like, but, but most people, you know, and those, all these people I'm mentioning, almost all of them went on to be very successful people because you just knew they were willing to go that extra mile. And that's with the networking. It's like, you, it, the moment you say, I'm not good at something, you're, you're screwed. Like, why aren't you good at it? Get good at it. There, there's no excuse. Yeah. It's all about like shifting your identity, you know, from, I think I said this on an, a, a recent conversation that we had, but it's like, you're not a runner until you say I'm a runner, but as long as you run, you can say that, you know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's like, there's just a world of opportunity out there. And it reminds me of the book, um, the third door by Alex Benayan. And the whole thing is like the, that concept of going the extra mile and like thinking outside of the box to go that extra mile, you know, like, um, it's just full chock full of stories from everybody from like Lady Gaga to Bill Gates to anybody you could think of. And it's just example after example of them, you know, not having a roadmap or like a, a set of steps to get to some like idealized version of success, but instead they just made it up and they went and brought a, brought a bottle of tequila to your office and like found out the route that you're going to run on your half marathon and held up a billboard. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. A lot that of actually happened. That happened at the LA Marathon. Two guys did, had a sign for me, like, go D, go. And obviously, like, I'm 15 miles in and I'm exhausted. And that, like, gave me, a, like, a boost of energy. The guy DM'd me the next day and said, hey, I was the one holding the sign. I, I, have, I have a question to ask you. I'm like, hell yeah, that's dope. You made me finish my marathon. <laughs> that third door attitude. I love that. Absolutely. The beauty of today's world is if the person is on some public platform, call it Twitter, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, whatever, <clears throat> that means they're willing to have a conversation. If they truly didn't want to talk to anyone, they would not be on any of those platforms. Yeah, I think that's especially true. And I think you can even take that a step further that if they're on those platforms and they don't reply to your message, that doesn't necessarily still mean they don't want to talk to you. Again, for this audience summit, I've had maybe a quarter of the guests, I DM them on one platform, got no response, tried a different, and was like, I could have just stopped there and said, oh, I guess this person hates me. And I'm like, well, maybe they don't check Twitter or maybe they have more volume of inbound information here, but no one knows to email them. And so the email, I just all of a sudden do that and then I get yeses. And yeah. I think it's a lot of people also need to make it past the first no or the first being ignored as well, you can't, which is a crucial skill. It's all about like assuming intent too. Like we talk about a lot. It's like, you can't uh, attribute malice to something where it's merely something else, you know, like everybody has a billion things going on. You shouldn't just think they hate you for not responding to one DM. Yeah. And I think you also got to be thoughtful, right? Like, like, you know, I also get the bonehead, yo, what up? Like, <laughs> all right, cool. Like, I'm not going to even respond to that. Like, cause that, what does that even mean? So it's like, you know, if you're trying to get on someone's radar, be thoughtful on, do some research, think through why you want to talk to them and why they would be interested in talking to you. Yeah, Absolutely. I think I have a kind of separate direction I want to go on, on the same theme. 
uh, you, you shared the story on our summit and on a couple other podcasts where you kind of, I'll tell a very abbreviated version of the story. You wanted to find a way to increase your customer acquisition cost for your business. And after a creative brainstorming session, you said, I just need to become famous. And I think you're a pretty rare example of someone who has a very deterministic path to being famous. And a lot of people, I feel like that kind of are connected to famous people like you are and had majority of their time behind the scenes and not having the famous figure kind of realize the drawbacks of being famous and don't want to be famous. But you kind of chose to be famous on purpose, have a moderate level of success at that. If people are, you know, hand delivering tequila from Australia, have there been unintended consequences of becoming famous on purpose? So, I mean, I think the, the, the biggest challenge you have when you say something like that and you try to do it is really your own friends. Your own friends start looking at you like, why are you doing that? Especially like me, I started doing this whole thing at like 36, 37 years old. So it's like, even like, what the hell are you doing? And once that to me, that judgy period of my friends was actually the toughest part for me because it just, they all looked at me like even my peers in the industry would come up to me and be like, what are you doing, bro? Like, you, it looks like a joke. And I'm like, no, I know I'm connecting with people. I know I will have an impact on people's lives. And if that's what the perception is today, that it will change with time. And so that to me was once I got over that hump, I really haven't seen any downside. Look, if you follow me or listen to my content most of the people i've never come across anyone that has been rude disrespectful everyone i've kind of interacted with is pretty thoughtful they're pretty smart and i think you know it's very different so my business partner in young and reckless who uh was on television with uh on mtv the fantasy factory drama he had fan his fame sucked Mm -hmm because he played effectively like this bonehead character on television. And that's what people thought he was in real life. And so when we would travel, it was that type of commentary. Like if we were at an airport or at a restaurant, hey, do you remember this episode, blah, blah, blah. Like very, very different. Whereas like mine, you know, most of the people that listen to me are smart. And it's very different. They're respectful. And, you know, like I live in Hollywood and I'm, I walk to work. I either walk or run to work every day. I run all over my neighborhood. So I just run into people all day and people will always come up to me and talk to me and hang out with me and whatever. And I, I don't know. I've just, I'm not, I'm not on um, CBS at 8 PM, right? Like I'm not for the masses. I'm like a niche person in my community. And so what you learn about building a following, and I'm sure there's many people have spoken about this, is you rather have a few thousand loyal people as opposed to millions of people that don't really care what you have to say, but they follow you for some random specific reason. There was someone the other day that posted on their Instagram. She has like 3 million followers. I forgot her name. And she sold 37 pieces of her, the launch of her brand. And she just, you know, Millions That's of not followers. a good conversion rate at all. No, <laughs> I, I can I can post on my Instagram with my only twenty four thousand or whatever followers, and I could sell fifty to a hundred of anything every single day, just off mine. And I've probably created millions of dollars of revenue for my business 
just because of the connection people have with my my content. So I am famous to people that follow me. I'm important to people that follow me, right? If you don't mm-hmm. follow me, I'm not I'm not like your typical person that like anyone you know, some random person is going to care about. Like I have friends who are music stars or television stars, very different audience that they're attracting. Yeah, I think that, you know, it, it is better on both for both sides of that equation when the audience is small and they care about what you're talking about in a certain context, you know, like that allows you to know what kind of content to deliver to them and they know what to expect. And then that um relationship is sort of mutually reinforcing to where they're only going to tell the people in their networks that they know like your sort of content uh to follow you or about your show and then it just continues to to grow that ball of smart people um but i'm curious sort of about the you mentioned drama and like young and reckless and his come up from um being like that bonehead character on robin big but like i feel like the the air around him shifted when young and reckless was like becoming a huge brand and everyone was like oh maybe this guy like knows what's up um but i specifically remember young and reckless going from like sort of obscurity to mainstream popularity so if you could talk a little bit sort of about riding up that roller coaster and what that was like uh with the launch of that brand i'd be interested to hear it yeah so i launched young and reckless almost 10 years into running our own brands And one of the challenges we always had with our brands was like marketing a fashion brand pre-internet was really, really hard. Pre-social media, obviously internet was around, but like it was impossible to just reach millions of people cost-effectively. And when I saw this opportunity to partner with someone that was on the number one cable show for men at the time, I was like, they don't even want a piece of the company no one wants anything. They're just going to freely market this. I was like, this makes no sense. We'll, we'll go with it. And drama was like, yeah, my cousin doesn't care. Just, you know, this is a good plot in, in, in the show. I was like, okay, great. So we uh, record the first episode where we talk about Young and Reckless, the launch of it. And one of the things I told drama, I'm like, I think the story will look really good. Don't ever tell you have business partners. You did it all. I, I don't want to, I don't want I don't want you to, because here's the thing. If, if it looks like a company, a seasoned company and a seasoned apparel person is coming into the mix, then it may look like you're just capitalizing on the opportunity, but make it look like you really want to do this and you're going to ship packages out of your apartment. And we're going to, we're going to make it feel like that. And so when we launched, it looked like he, you know, put together a few designs. I got the episode six months in advance. I took it to every (laughs) major retailer in the country and I sold it to all of them. This was like the biggest launch ever for a brand new brand. Like I got in 5,000 stores on day one. So I put it in all the stores. The episode aired on, I think like a Thursday. That Friday was in every mall in America. And so the customer isn't that sophisticated to be like, oh, how did this all happen? They just like, I just saw drama on TV talking about Young and Reckless. Oh, it's at Sun. Oh, it's at Hot Topic. Oh, it's at Journeys. Oh, it's at Zoomies. Oh, it's at Tilly's. Oh, it's at Macy's. I put it in every store. So 
the 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 impact of the brand immediately was so big and then as the show progressed we just rode the wave of that and and i already had the infrastructure right so we went from like zero to 20 million in two years because we had the infrastructure to do do that immediately and that really is the secret to things like that is that like you have to paint a certain perception to the audience and then you have to do what reality is is find the right business partner to help you uh you know scale it quickly and so in that particular case we both played our roles really really well so that's why it all kind of he knew what i i made it very clear to him these are the things i'm going to need for you for this to be successful and if you do that i can do the rest and and he played that part well that is an incredible launch story that is like kind of an epic story and like it's kind of so cool wow I had no idea that that's yeah. kind of how things played out. And I think that's something I've started learning being a creator on the kind of very, very early stages of that is people just don't put any thought into like what happens behind the scenes. Like I kind of, one of the things I enjoy about putting these videos on YouTube is there's a timestamp of the call that we record with you. And sometimes, you know, Kyle and I have a large backlog and won't record the three minute introduction and three minute takeaways until maybe six or seven weeks after the conversation. And the audio listeners, to them, it's just like, it's just one seamless, this is what happens. Uh, whereas to us, it's like a, a multi-month process. And it's so interesting to see what ways you can actually leverage that to your advantage. So taking advantage of the six month window of opportunity between you have the produced episode, but for whatever reason, they're not publishing it, using that as an asset to promote it. And then it all to the end consumer who doesn't care about that whole process and the marketing masterminding that went behind the scenes. It's just, this is, this is, a crazy cool happening. I love the show. They do cool stuff. I want to support them. Oh, it's in the stores the next day when that is a completely like, there's so many strings you all had to pull behind the scenes to make that happen. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of things that happen in the market that, you know, people just aren't aware of, but that's, it's happening all around us all the time. And I'm just, my expertise has always been with celebrities and brands. So I'm very familiar with those stories, but you know, it's, it's just, it's like anything. You just have to think through things and really plan it in order to be successful. I love that. So I want to ask you a question now about investing because uh, that's something, again, uh, trying to do research for you was, was difficult because there's just a lot of different pieces that you could go into. Uh, but you have a couple of these successful launches and you spent some time now. You have this uh, investment group called Queensbridge, if I have the name right. Uh, and I saw kind of looking through the crunch base and some of the company history that you all were very early to lift and Dropbox, which is incredible. How did those kinds of opportunities come about? Was that because of the tech network you had built in college or how, how do you transition from being a fashion entrepreneur and having some disposable money to maybe help launch some other companies to getting those two amazing companies presented to you? Yeah. So it happened, you know, a combination of just a network that myself my brother and uh, Anthony, one of our partners also, uh, you know, we had always been very accessible to all people. And, you know, I'm one of those people that I'll still go meet with anyone and everybody because I just never know. And mm -hmm. so we always had this wide range of people we knew. And about 10 years ago, we saw that this whole new world was being born. So whether it be the Uber story or, you know, a lot of these kind of kind of call it 1.0 uh, new tech companies, we started seeing them early and they were all around us because 
we're we were friends with a lot of those people, the Uber founders, um, the investors, and in all these companies. And we were like, should we be doing this? And my brother was very adamant. Like he was the one that really kind of said, no, we need to get in this game. And back then, and it would stay still now. Investing in technology was like, or investing in general, it's like it's a boys' club. And like, so you got to break into the club like anything else. Our friend Anthony managed, still manages Nas, the, the musician. And he also managed a lot of really high profile artists. It turns out every major venture capitalist grew up listening to Nas. So, like, they're all obsessed with him. And when we realized this, we were like, huh, we need to connect the dots. What do we have? We have, we have Nas. And Nas, we, we pitched it to him and said, look, this is going to change the world. We need to get involved with this. He's like, great. Where do you, got, where do you guys need me to play? So we took, uh, my brother got connected to Ben Horowitz from Andreessen Horowitz. And Ben, if you read his blog or his book, you know thing about hard things yeah yeah he quotes nas a lot like the titles the chapters they're based a lot of it's based on music nas created in the 90s and ben listened to that and like really connected with that so my brother set up a meeting for all of us to go meet ben with nas and that's it like when you you bring probably the most influential rap artist of all time to someone's office he was like what do you guys want want to do and we're like we want to get in this space he's like done i got you and the rest is history because we brought what well, we we brought our asset which was we have access to popular culture like nobody else does at that time in tech and we became the first celebrity driven venture fund that became like copycatted a hundred times over since then but it was something that like you realized that's why it's important to network. That's why it's important to be nice to everyone because you never know when some of those relationships will actually come in handy. Yeah. Before our podcast, we always put like a little clip of um, the like the conversation and an excerpt basically. And yeah. going from that to talking about networking in the first question will really be a, a good transition <laughs> for us for sure. Yeah. Uh, and like it, it, it's really important to note that like it's not just connecting with people, but it's also like how you connect with them. Because, you know, you, as you get older, you'll, you learn how to act. Or, you know, some people know it from a young age, what's appropriate and what's inappropriate in a conversation. And I think those, the way, the impression you leave on people also could propel your life or prohibit your life. Now, that leads me to a question I actually wanted to ask you. Kyle and I really try to use this as a way to kind of answer the personal questions. And we're in a very exciting growth phase of the podcast where we're starting to meet awesome people like yourself that, you know, you have a connection to a thousand doors that, you know, and we're every day between the summit and this, it's like more amazing, incredible connections every single day. And we're doing a really good job of having, you know, this initial 15 minute, this initial 60 minute conversation and just the first point of contact where we prove our credibility. But what we're trying to figure out how to do now is kind of what is your maintenance for maintaining these relationships and making them deeper and I mean just literally using you as an example you know we met you we did a summit we do this podcast in your internet work but we don't necessarily have a reason to reach out after the podcast is promoted and published but obviously you'd be a relationship and many other people like you are meeting through the show just so valuable to keep a reason to keep the relationship moving through time and provide value as well how do you 
keep those existing relationships stronger? How do you strengthen, uh, like keep the door open once you have a foot in the door? Because that's kind of what's happening to us. We're getting a foot in more doors than we anticipated getting in faster than we can keep track of, which is yeah. amazing and so awesome. And we kind of want to make sure we're not losing out on the momentum we're building uh, while also not being you know, manipulative and strategic and look, viewing relationships and networking like chess. But yeah. still, it's trying to manage it all because there's a lot of opportunity and we want to make sure we're making the best use of it. I think a lot of it is as simple as when milestones are crossed in people's lives, reaching out to them and congratulating them. So <clears throat> like I'm friends with um, a lot of professional athletes and I don't want to talk, you know, I don't want to bother them. They're busy. They're doing their thing. But if someone has like a big game, I text them like, man, congratulations. So great that you're doing this. I hope you and the family are doing well. That's it. I'm a, I, I stay in their mind and I move on. In my case, I have clothes. So I can just send people clothes all day and they'll always answer my phone call or text or email um, because that's always a nice gesture. But I think so much of it is just like literally reaching out when, if people post something on social media, that means they're proud of it. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I had a kid. Okay, reach out and congrats on your second kid. You know, wish you guys all the best. Like, it's just, it's just those things. And then people will be like, man, that person's always really nice. You know, like that, it's as simple as, as that. Like, do you guys know Casey? Which Casey? Um, oh, uh, Casey, like at Casey on Instagram. He, Lewis, he liked our Instagram. We DM'd him. Um, yeah, got it. Blanking. Abrams, Casey Young. Casey a Young. Casey Adams. Casey Adams. Is he Rise of the Young podcast? Yes. Yeah, I listened to his story on one of the podcasts for the summit, like Travis Chappelle interviewed him. We don't know him, how he, but he flew we know out for sure. I heard his story on a podcast yep. and drama was one of his first guests and that helped his podcast blow up. Yep. And like he drama flew him out there and like his mom, it was like this whole story drama FaceTime his mom and she freaked out. Yeah. It was like this whole, it was a cool story, but we haven't contacted him yet or made, but I think gone Casey, through to him. We've tried. <laughs> Casey does a good job of that because like Casey's my friend. So I'll say this, but Casey and I had no reason to talk absolutely no reason right like i'm running my business he's like 20 years younger than me he's living his life but like he'll reach out anytime something is happening or some there's like a weird connection back to me in his life he'll reach out and said hey i just ran into joe from blah 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 he says hello oh okay cool that's it that casey and i have kept in touch you know ever since that because he's done a good job of just keeping that door open so maybe one day there'll be an opportunity to do business together, whatever it is. Mine is all about like, you know, cause my, it's too hard at the number of people I know, I cannot keep the same relationships I used to have with people now that I have a family. So mine is like, oh, so when something happened in their life, I'll reach out to them and say, congratulations, hope everything is well, you know, hit me if you need anything. It says, it's just that easy. Just stay in people's mind and don't be too imposing. Yeah, I think that we suffer from a case of overthinking it too. And it's like, you know, when somebody reaches out to me and, and says congratulations about something, like, I don't forget that, you know, it's like, I, I'm, it, that doesn't have a clock that's going to run out in my head as to the next time that I see them or interact with them in any way. So it's like, it, it really doesn't take as much maintenance, I think, as I think that's what I, I'm learning as I, I hear you talk is like, one ping goes a lot farther than like, you think it does. Yeah, I mean, if you, you know, like, don't do like the typical Thanksgiving, Christmas, New mm -hmm. Year's, like, 
uh, reserve that for family and close friends. And then for people like myself, you see, I launched a new brand, reach out and say, congrats, that's it. And even if I'm unable to respond, trust me, I read it, I saw it, I appreciate it. You know what I mean? Like that stuff mm -hmm. goes such a long way that, I mean, for no matter what level you're at, that feels good. Like, you know, Nas got nominated for a Grammy the other day and I texted him, I'm like, congratulations. He's gonna nominate 17 times and hasn't won. I'm like, this is your year. And he's like, man, I hope so. And it's like, it, it still matters to him. The Grammys still matter to him. Me texting him means something to him that I appreciate what he's, his craft at the end of the day. We all pour so much into our life. Like we want, we want to feel, I don't care who you are. You still want to feel like you're wanted. Absolutely. I think, I think that's huge. And with creators, especially one of the easiest like reasons to reach out to someone is if I follow you on Instagram, I get on your podcast feed and you publish an episode with someone who's like, so cool. I've been a fan of that person. And I'm like, no way you had this person on the podcast. I'm going to listen to it or better yet. I listened to this episode with this person. That was such a great podcast. Like love what you're doing. Keep it up kind of thing. Even podcast creators like still like to hear stuff like that. Oh, everybody. I have friends on mega hit television shows and I'll be like, Hey, I just saw that last episode. It was so funny. They're like, Oh, you watched it. I was like, Hey, <laughs> I'm like, man, I, I record all my friends' shows. I just support them any way I can. It's like people forget like the basic things are still the most important things. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and for me, like we don't get that many listeners. Like we're not famous at all. But if one of my friends goes up to me and they're like, I listened to it, your show. I've told this a couple of times. I'm just like blown away. Like I literally don't believe that they did it for some but reason. I think Kyle's been bringing this up so that more friends come up to him and say, I've been listening to yeah, your show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but it's appreciation but, also matters too. that your reaction helps them too. I agree. So you run like, I don't know, five or six different companies from day to day and have run multiple in the past as well. But if all of that was stripped from you right now today, what uh, business models or ideas have you had recently that you'd be excited to get to work on uh, to like build a new business and, and build from the ground up? Um, I think I would stay in the world of brands still. Um, it may not be in fashion only. Uh, I think when I look, if you walk down the aisles of a Walmart, a Target, a Macy's, pick a retailer, there are so many brands that still need to be disrupted. They're sleepy, they're not interesting, they don't connect with the customer. And we all knew, like when the internet happened, and e-commerce started to happen, the thesis was this new generation of customers who are never gonna walk into a mall, how are they gonna discover brands? And it became social media, digital advertising, digital marketing. Fast forward, just from last year to this year, with like, take TikTok, for example. There's a world of brands and businesses that are being built on TikTok because there's an audience of people that only frequent that platform. And so you can't even reach them if you're not prevalent on that platform. So I think brands are gonna to continue to get fragmented. So, you know, in fashion, I'll give you the example because I know it best. When I started my business, there was Ralph Lauren, Tommy Hilfiger, Calvin Klein, and, you know, I don't know, Perry Ellis or whatever, some of those big brands. And those were looked like the kings of our industry. Fast forward, there's never going to be a brand like Ralph Lauren ever again. There's never going to be a brand that's going to connect with half the world. 
instead, there's going to be thousands of brands that connect with thousands of different subcultures. And that it's, that's going to happen across every industry. Like, you know, if you're a, a gamer, if you're like a lesbian gamer, there's probably a creator for you that's like iconic. And there's probably a brand for you that's talking to you. There's products that are speaking to you. So you don't have to go and buy Nike. If Nike is not marketing to you well, then they're not going to get your dollars. And I think if you think about like, I think anything, like if I look at the take chips, like what marketing is Doritos doing to get the 15 year old customer today? I don't, if I'm a 15 year old, where am I even getting marketed Doritos? Like they're not good on social media. They're not good anyway. They're just in the stores. So you buy it. So like if direct to consumer chips is a business, then like you're good on social media, you can launch a chip brand. I think the, the whole thesis there is something that our most recent episode we did, we, I don't know where the chronology is going to be on the publishing schedule, but we did this with this blogger named Taylor Pearson, who kind of thinks in abstract terms about a lot of these economic trends and the way he describes it is the emergence of the fat tail on the, the, all of the stuff, if you look at a distribution, like a power law distribution, all of the big companies that succeeded by capturing a mass interest, like they've kind of tapped that all out. Uh, but because of the democratization of tools of production of the internet, social media, Shopify, Amazon, seller, those niche interests on the fatter long tail of the distribution that only have a market of lesbian gamers of maybe 250,000, 400,000, maybe a million people compared to 300 million if you're Nike, uh, you can use the internet and social media and actually reach that entire audience at once and serve yeah. the entire niche interest. So he has some great essays about kind of understanding that in abstract terms, because the same things are happening outside of fashion. Those, those things are happening in every sector. So even if someone's yeah. listening to this and is inspired to be an entrepreneur, but wants nothing to do with clothes, uh, there's still opportunity to take advantage of that same phenomenon because the, you could just apply that same kind of business model in line of thinking to whatever stack, whatever industry you're interested in. But I, I wanna transition now to a couple of rapid fire questions to, for the last couple of minutes here. Uh, so obviously you're a fashion expert, especially compared to Kyle and I, I rock uh, the same three or four pairs of black Lululemon shorts with a different solid color shirt. Uh, and if it's cold out, I swap the shorts for jeans and that's the extent of my wardrobe. Uh, so what are some fundamental kind of 80, 20 uh, rules for people who want to dress a little bit better and not violate uh, the men's fashion specifically? Uh, wear all black. That always looks good. Okay. So all black. I think if you if you should, you should own a great pair of black denim, raw denim, it can be like I sell them for $30. You can buy them a lot all over the internet for under 50 bucks. Have really nice white and black t-shirts, like invest in like a nice white and black t-shirt. And then black tops. I mean, if you wear all black and white sneakers, you always look like you're chic. You look like you know, you live in New York or LA and that's like your style. I think that's a cheat code for, and if you're a bigger guy, wearing all black is slimming. So I think it's an easy, like when we see people wearing all black, we're like, oh, that guy dressed pretty well. Well, why is he dressed pretty well? It just, all black looks good, looks cool. So like, you know, if you wore a white t-shirt, black sweatshirt, black denim, clean pair of like New Republic makes a really popular white sneaker. That's like, that's a look that no matter where you are in the world, you'll feel like you fit in. I'm going to send that clip to my mom and say, this is what I want for Christmas. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, when you show up to like a meeting dressed like that, I'm like, wow, that, that looks like a slick, slick dressed guy. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so I have a, I have another rapid fire question for you. You yeah. know, you've, you've kind of grown up the last, well, your whole life in LA and you've got a lot of these really big name friends. I'm curious if you have any specific stories that stick out when I ask you, do you have like a really crazy rich person story? Like you pull up in a Batmobile and you're like, I don't know, in Batman's lair or something insane like that? I mean, I've been to some very notable billionaires homes, um, but I would say they've been fairly like, I don't know, not like a blockbuster type interactions. Um, my probably uh, craziest set of meetings were uh, last April in 2019. I got a call from Kanye West. Oh my and, God. And uh, <laughs> I, he, he's like, come to my office. And for two weeks, I spent a bunch of time in his office and a hours and hours on the phone and the funniest conversation i had with him was i was at coachella i am near blackout drunk at like noon <laughs> i see his phone calling me i'm at a party i'm like shit man do i pick this up or do i just keep it going and i was like screw it i'll pick it up he goes, hey, D, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm at Coachella. Oh, I hear the music. I'm like, who's performing? I'm like, I'm at a party right now. Three-hour conversation. Sitting at a party <laughs> at Coachella. My friends are like, where the hell are you? I'm like, I, I'll tell you later. I got, I'm on the phone right now. And so, and we're talking. The thing about Kanye, I'll share one of the, the things he said to me that's so interesting. He's such like a... You know, it's frustrating watching what happens on television and what happens on social media with them because I got to spend some serious quality time with him. And he's a genius. And he's, he's a, he thinks on another level. He calls me and says, he's like literally mid-sentence. He's like, do you understand? I had to dial your 10 numbers directly, perfectly, to connect with you. If I dial one number wrong, I wouldn't have been able to connect with you. And I know what he's meaning. He's meaning that like, you know, the connection that each individual has is actually much deeper than we appreciate. And, you know, the fact that you have to dial 10 exact numbers exactly to reach someone else. It's, it's interesting. But like the fact that that's how he thinks in the beginning of a phone call, it just tells you the type of person he is. And like, I think what I learned from conversations with people like him, or I got to have a conversation with Travis Kalanick when he started Uber. Um, I saw, I met Gary V 10 years ago um, at like a shitty South by Southwest uh, party. And like, I got to sit with all these interesting people and you just have to think big is what I, what I learned early on. And I realized I'm kind of incapable of doing that to the public. Like, I don't have enough confidence yet to do that. Like, I think big, but I keep that shit to myself. And the difference between 
those people who are truly visionaries is they put out madness into the universe, Elon Musk or any of these people, and they truly, truly believe it. That's why people say there's such a fine line between genius and insanity, right? It's like right there. And, you know, I think it, what it gave me confidence in is I'm not that type of person. Like one, I'm not willing to sacrifice my entire life to, to be that, but like those interactions with like a Kanye or anything like that are just like, you sit, I sit in those meetings. I'm like, Oh, that's why you are who you are. And that's why I am who I am. <laughs> it's pretty good on either side of the equation, but I hear you. It's funny. There's a, there's like a TikTok that's going around. that's really famous with the, the Kardashians. And it's like all like six of the sisters sitting there like in front of a, of a FaceTime and they call like Justin Bieber, like everybody that's super famous and like the person answers and they're usually like, holy shit, like what's wrong? Like, I don't know what to say, but Kanye picks up and he goes, he looks at it and he goes, I want to talk about mind control. Yeah. And it's like, he's so unafraid. So ready to talk about the deepest thing, like, and what's supposed to be a joke. He doesn't give a shit about Kris Jenner and how much power he, she has. He's just like ready to talk about the deepest levels of like humanity and what makes us like human. And I listened to his, his Joe Rogan a few days ago and I'm, I'm a really big fan of Kanye. I think that he's massively misunderstood and has produced a lot more value in the world than he's taken from it. Um, and that uh, you have to be that way in order to accomplish the sorts of things that he's accomplished. You have to believe that the rules don't, don't apply to you in order to accomplish the things that people like him, people like Steve Jobs, people like Elon Musk believe, or they wouldn't ever be able to do it. And like, I don't know if that's a skill you're born with or if you develop, but thank God that there's people like that that are out there. Yeah. I think, I think it's a skill, um, if you're very well informed, you develop or you're very well educated, you really develop. Like a lot of people say that about, are you guys familiar with Stripe payments? Mm -hmm. Okay. So Stripe is a hundred billion dollar company started by two kids when they were like 20 years old. Patrick Collison. Is that him? Patrick and Tommy. I can never remember the other name. Yeah. I forget. (laughs) I think they're Irish. So Tommy sounds right. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Tommy, um, if you're out there. Yeah, I mean, there were uh, there were billions. I don't think uh, yeah. they probably have the internet. Anymore. Hey, man, don't hate on us. They might be listening. <laughs> I'm, 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 saying, I'm saying I don't think they're listening to anything at this point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, they're they're a great example that's happening right now. That we talked about on our podcast yesterday was if people thought Stripe was a payment processing company then you would say they have a ceiling to what they can become. And what they've effectively become is actually a new way of banking. And Mm -hmm. that is way more disruptive than a payment processor company. But like they were having those conversations 10 years ago and said, this is how we're gonna do it. We're gonna start with payment processing and then we're gonna go build this out. They, they, and if, if you had gone to someone at JP Morgan and said, this is what you're going to do. They're going to laugh at you. They're like, how are you not going to, but they control the internet transactions. So they want to get into banking. Guess what? Every major bank in the world is lined up to work with Stripe because if they don't, they're going to be out of business. And I think if you look at Stripe, you look at Uber, you look at, you know, even crypto, or even if you look at Tesla, 
Tesla's not valued as a car company. Tesla's mm-hmm. valued as a company that's a, as what he's saying is going to revolutionize just energy in general. So I think like, I agree. Those people have a vision and a thought process. It's a little bit of a craziness, but it's also like, they're very, very good at what they do. So their confidence gives them the ability to think totally outside the box and they don't follow the norms because they've, they've, they've been exposed to things that like you and I were not exposed to. I like the, the concept of thinking, shout out Joe, thinking without the box. Like those are the type of people that have no constraints on what they think is possible. They're, they're not constrained by what JP Morgan is doing or, or what Toyota is doing. Like they are completely on their own. And, and that is representative of the value of both Stripe and Tesla. Like Tesla's worth 584 billion. That's more than, or I don't know if that number's right, but it sounds right. Yeah. Like more than Toyota, more than Mercedes, more than all of this shit combined. And yeah. it's because from the beginning, they were playing a different game that, that yeah. these other companies cannot consider um, even going after because it's just like built on a different substrate of reality yeah um, very true yeah and i think and i yeah. think i was gonna say i think the other lesson is even if you don't necessarily believe in them specifically definitely don't bet against them <laughs> i saw a headline today that's like tesla short sellers lose more this year than the entire airline industry <laughs> i think if, if you don't believe in elon musk just don't buy tesla but don't bet against him and that's the same to be true of any of these visionaries yeah, and I think the the biggest thing that I, I learned from this year, either from from watching the the equity market or watching just things in general, if things have a crazy fandom or crazy loyalty, th- that the fandom can power you into success, right? Like if you have like like Tesla's followers or customers are so brand loyal to Tesla. It's very similar. The only brand we can compare it to in technology was Apple. Like Apple in the 80s was so diehard for the creatives. And when that, no one had the vision except he did of what he would turn that business into. So like when you see these weird culty businesses, you never want to like bet against it. Like you just, I've learned my lesson. I bet against a lot of companies that I thought didn't make sense to me, but they have this cult following and that following will power it further. Like take Kanye. I don't agree with anything he's done in the last two years, but he, he has fandom that's so beyond anything that it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to win that battle. You personally not liking him will, or not having like, you know, the past two years of his work will absolutely not overpower the multiple millions times more people than you who will support him like to the moon and back and how he can do absolutely nothing wrong in their eyes. Exactly. But I I know we're running up on our time here. So if people either want to buy a pair of black denim jeans or some light shoes, or just listen to you talk on your podcast, uh, where should we send people? So the podcast we have is called group chat. We come out Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. It's everything to do with uh, finance, technology, fashion, pop culture. We have a lot of interesting friends. So we bring them all on. And uh, the, uh, a couple of websites you can check out for clothes, themenlohouse.com. Uh, or if you want the shoes, go to shopnewrepublic.com. And if you want to see all the brands uh, that I run, go to 54group.com. Great, Woody. This has been so, so fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Dee.
And that wraps up our interview with D Murthy. It was super cool to talk to somebody who had founded a brand that I was sort of invested in earlier on in my life. I watched Fantasy Factory a lot growing up. So hearing the backstory about Young and Reckless as um, from the producer side of the equation, when I was the one that was experiencing it from the consumer side, was just really interesting to hear how the, the way that I thought about it was sort of manufactured by him on the front end. So it was incredible to think about how he has this long-term vision. And, and that long-term vision, I think, was um, apparent in a lot of his different answers. Uh, one being how he, you know, he knew he wanted to be in LA. So he just stuck there. He, he planted his roots and that's where his networking came in and, and where he went to school. Um, and then another thing that I think was an interesting takeaway is just like his ability to beat the flinch. The flinch is something that was coined, at least to me, by uh, Alex Manayan, where there's this moment right before you walk up to somebody where, you know, you kind of freeze up. You're like, should I do this? Should I not? And he just seems to be like the master of just completely not even feeling it and being willing to, to go up to anybody. And I think that that's apparent in the gigantic um, network that he's grown from Kanye West to Nas to, you know, Andreessen Horowitz and, and the rest of them. It's just absolutely insane. The next one is, um, as you heard, to wear all black. Lewis and I, we, we are not the fashion icons that we want to be, but maybe up uh, wearing all black and, and buying some Menlo House or New Republic or maybe some Young and Reckless would, would do us good uh, on our journey to become fashion icons. Um, and then the last one is just like, as we talked about with Kanye and uh, Steve Jobs and these people that are, you know, visionaries kind of sort of changing the world, Elon Musk, like they have to believe that the rules don't apply to them in order for them to even consider what they've done to be possible. And I, I just think that's a really powerful um, like realization that you know sometimes these rules that are made for us, they don't need to apply to us. But Lewis, what were some takeaways that you had from the, sh- the conversation? Yeah, I learned a lot of interesting things from this conversation. I enjoyed listening to it and editing, and I enjoyed listening to it when we had it the first time. I have three main ideas I want to talk about. The first is serendipity. We kind of early on talked about the idea of how this podcast was intentionally developed for us to increase our ability to have serendipitous things happen. And D seems to be the master of coming up with different things for serendipity. I mean, he talked about how he was starting a tech company in college at USC in Los Angeles in the 90s. So he would just walk at these networking events with business cards. And he just so happened to be in the same room as all these people that eventually started founding some of the biggest companies today. And he just managed to stay in touch with them for a lot of the reasons he talked about in, in the episode. Uh, but just such how unexpected, positive things can happen from putting yourself in situations like that, starting a podcast, sending DMs, uh, reaching out to people randomly, meeting people online, showing up to seminars, uh, someone's doing a virtual coaching call. So you just go in and listen and DM a random interesting person in the chat. I mean, so many interesting things can happen when you just say yes to getting coffee with that random person or ask that random person out to go get coffee. And you just never know who that person knows and what can come from it. And a lot of his coolest stories were truly just 
could be traced back to the random situations that he chose to say yes to and the sequence of them that led to that exact moment. So I thought that was very interesting. Uh, I think another big lesson was he just seems like a nice guy and just only care and always cares about adding value and making sure that out of all the relationships he has and creates, he's providing more value than he takes. Uh, so he's always sending people compliments. He's always giving them nice gifts, whether it's clothes or compliments or media promotions or whatever other favors he's able to do for them. Seems like he always makes sure that it he's the one over delivering on value and that's why people are lining up to help him when he needs them to uh and the last one like you said kyle is just thinking bigger i think that d gave a couple examples of what he's doing that is bigger thinking but also how he's inspired by like you said those elon musks those kanye west those people who truly see the world as uh, a place for them to manifest their desires and their thoughts and their just dreams into reality is such a cool way of going about life and living a bigger, more exciting world when you decide you're going to go about it in that way. Uh, but that's all we have to say about this conversation with Dee. We are super grateful to him for not only doing this podcast with us, but being a part of our audience summit, which we're going to be releasing very soon uh, for any of you interested in learning how to grow a podcast audience. Uh, that's going to be on YouTube very soon. So my two calls to action for you today in this episode, number one, if you're interested in that summit and want to see our videos either from this podcast in audio form or from that summit, you should go on YouTube and search for The Lewis and Kyle Show and hit subscribe. If you're already here, the button's probably really close to my face. And uh, our second call to action, if you enjoy this episode, you'll probably appreciate our other content. So I encourage you to go through our feed, look at some of the past episodes you have not listened to. We try to make all of our interviews evergreen. It does not matter. We don't talk about current events that much. We really just focus on the timeless business principles, these people's interesting backstories, the lessons from their very, very varied experience. And there's probably a lot to be learned from the episodes we've already done. So I'd encourage you, if you enjoy this, to just scroll down, pick one that calls your attention and give it a listen as well. That is all we have for you this week. We will see you in another week with the next one. Have a good one. Thanks so much for being here. Bye-bye.